0: Hi, folks, is Voss here from the dot com. Hey, we're coming here with another great podcast. We certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. Thanks for being here. Be sure to refer the show to your friends, neighbors, relatives, ask, hey, have you subscribed to the Chris Boss Show? Tell them to go to iTunes and hit that subscribe button. And if you love the show, give it a good referral. Go on there and uh, give us a five-star rating and uh, tell us how great we are. If not, send me an email and uh, tell me why don't you hate me. But you're still listening to the show, so I love you anyway. Anyway, guys, <laughs> go to YouTube.com, where it says Chris Voss. Hit the bell notification button. Also, go to Goodreads.com, forward slash Chris Voss. Uh, you can see everything we're reading and reviewing over there. And also go to all of our groups on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, YouTube, uh, Instagram, uh, TikTok. There's just one every day they put out nowadays, so be sure to follow them as well. Today, as always, as every single podcast episode, we have the most brilliant people on the show the most brilliant people the most brilliant guests and now that i've made my new guest sweat because he's wow i've got to be brilliant too which of course he is he's actually a doctor we know he must be brilliant it takes a lot of work to become a doctor and he has written his newest book the u.s version this is gonna be coming out june 2nd 2021 he is the author dr salvador massive he wrote the book modern epidemics from the spanish flu to COVID-19. So today's conversation is going to be quite interesting and eye-opening as well. And this episode is brought to you by a sponsor, ifi-audio.com and their micro iDSD signature. It's a top of the range desktop transportable DAC and headphone app that will supercharge your headphones. It has two brown burr dac chips in it and will decode high-res audio and mqa files we're using it in the studio right now i've loved my experience with it so far just makes everything sound so much more richer and better and takes things to the next level ifi audio is an award-winning audio tech company with one aim in mind to improve your music enjoyment of quality sound eradicate noise distortion and hiss from your listening experience Check out their new incredible lineup of DACs and audio enhancement devices at ifi-audio.com. He is a doctor, researcher, and writer. He obtained his PhD and MD degree at the University of Barcelona, Spain in 1998, and then he moved to oncology research at the Mount Sinai Hospital in New York. Since 2008, he is the head of the Mechanisms of Aging and Cancer Lab at the University of Dur, uk That Correct me on <laughs> that, Salvador, if you will. Did I? Name that right
1: uh no no way. No, 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 it's lester but uh, nobody from university of
0: that. that is clearly not spelled lester but we'll we'll let that <laughs> slide where he also has a an associate professor at the uh, department of molecular and cellular biology these are big words i went to public school clearly he is also a researcher and professor at the Universitat. wow Universitat oberta de Catalunya.
1: <laughs> yeah you got that, that pretty well yeah
0: all right cool i'm one for two in barcelona since 2020 he's published over 30 books in Catalan, his uh, Catalan is a uh, native language, including fiction, children's stories, and essays. Some of his books have been translated into Spanish, French, German, Italian, Portuguese, Korean, Chinese, and received awards for the European Prize for Popular Science in 2013. And he's published a ton of other books in uh, English as well. I'll let you check that out. Welcome to the show, Salvador. My apologies for butchering half of the universities you went to.
1: <laughs> Thank
0: you. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> I clearly need to—I don't know—get a job or something. I don't know. Go to go back to school. But this is the reason that you're a doctor and I'm not. So give us your plug, Salvador, on why, <laughs> where people can find you on the interwebs. Salvador, give us your plugs on where sorry. people can find you on the interwebs.
1: Yeah, sorry, it got. It got yeah, if you look for me on uh, on Twitter, my name is Doctor Masip, and that's basically the main, main activity and also on Instagram. There you go.
0: There you go. What motivated you want to write this book? You've written a whole lot of other material. What motivated you to write this one?
1: I've always been fascinated by uh, microscopic life, by microbes. And this this started. This book started actually when I was in Mount Sinai in New York. And I was working on, on cancer. But I had a, a few friends that were work, working on viruses. So one of these things that you go there and say, oh, what are you working on? I started getting interested in that, and we did some collaborations, and I thought it's it's amazing. I I I clearly know nothing about microbes, so let's do some research and and let's learn about this. And all that interest led to realizing that microbes, all the microscopic world, is is, is quite unknown. The, The average citizen doesn't know much about viruses, bacteria, and so on. So I thought, okay, might as well share some of that knowledge and try to write a book uh, that explains a bit what are uh, microbes, what, are my, uh, what is a bacteria, what is a virus, why it's important, why they can be good, they can be bad. And this is how this book started. And this was 10 years ago. And that's when I wrote the first version of the book. And this is the updated version now to include COVID and other stuff.
0: Cool, man. That's awesome. The, uh, so give us an overarching it, thing of the book, what it's about and what it entails in detail. What or I not wanted to... <laughs> <don't laughs>
1: How much time do you have?
0: <laughs> um, Read the whole damn book.
1: <laughs> so the, my my main goal was basically to see to study the relationship between humans and, and microbes because we see. Uh, bacteria viruses as, as our enemies and uh, we are here fighting a war and you can always hear especially now with COVID you everything you hear is the war against uh, COVID or the war against uh, viruses but actually we coexist we share the same planet there's many more microbes than humans in the planet so and uh, if you put them all together it's uh, they weigh they would weigh more than the, the, all the animals in the planet so we are sharing the same space and this means that it's not only a war. It's a relationship that has good things and bad things. And we, actually, life would not be possible without viruses and bacteria, as we know it. And the problem is that some of them, yes, do cause disease, and they are a big issue. And we are in the middle now of a pandemic, so I don't need to explain to you how bad things can get. But there's also a lot of the bacteria that are actually needed. So we are full of bacteria, actually. Uh, our bodies have as many uh, microbes as human cells. You have probably is a mix. The, the, the human body is a mix of human cells and a lot of bacteria and viruses that are coming, living with us inside and, and, uh, and outside our bodies that actually help. Uh, us in our sort of everyday uh, functions in our body so that's what I wanted to explain in the book so there's good bacteria bad bacteria and bad viruses and more than trying to fight them we need to understand them first and if you understand them then it's I think it's you open the door to a a very interesting world a lot of things uh, that you can learn about them
0: yeah it's that's really interesting wow i I just feel like a polluted junk heap right now like a little garbage why do i bother cleaning my house if i'm half of me is walking bacteria it seems like it's
1: yeah, that actually, you know, it's better if you have your bacteria and you keep it healthy. Sure. For uh, and the average adult, if you have a 70 kilogram, sorry, I, I wouldn't know the, the US equivalent, but two, out of 70 kilos of a human body, it would be two kilos of, of, of bacteria and viruses if you put them all together. So it's quite a wow. nice chunk, quite a chunk of, of microbes that we have on top of us. But and actually, over the years, we're realizing that the bacteria we have, for instance, in, in our insides, in our stomach and, our, and in our gut, actually, it, it, it plays a big role in our health depending on, on the bacteria that happen in your gut that can influence whether you are thin or you are uh, fat or whether you are healthy or not healthy and it can even influence your mental health so things that you, th- you would say how is that happening so this is very interesting so how are these small things these microbes actually influencing things like your brain so yeah. do a lot of research here
0: Yeah. And this is really interesting. So if I'm overweight, it can affect my, it's a dumb question, but I'll ask it anyway. So if I'm overweight, my microbes can fuck me up in the brain and stuff.
1: Uh, It's a bit more complex than that, but yeah, I think it's a two-way street. What you eat determines what kind of microbes you're going to have in your gut. And these microbes are going to influence also how you process food. And they could eventually have some influence in your brain's good or or bad. So this is a a field that is starting now to to explode and there's a lot that we don't know yet but i think over the years it's going to become more and more clear that this symbiotic relationship we have with our bacteria is it's uh, not only something that happens in infections like one of the things we know is that our bacteria help us prevent infections by the bad bacteria but it's it it goes farther than that it goes uh, up to other aspects of our health from mental health to anything else that uh, our body is
0: processing that's interesting. That's interesting. You talk about in the book, you start with the Spanish flu and you talk about what that is about and the origins of that. Tell us about what, what you discuss on that topic and how you take that all the way up to COVID.
1: Yeah, I think actually to start with Spanish flu, we need to say that is not the, the best name because it was not yes. Spanish flu. It's actually probably coming from the US, so it should be <laughs> perhaps called the American flu. The problem is that Europe was in the middle of a war at the time, and this was 1918, the First World War. and and nobody was paying much attention to infections. And Spain was the first one to say, oh, look, there's a new infection here. There's something happening that is different. And that's why it got stuck as the Spanish flu. And actually, since from then until now, there's been this tradition of assigning names to the diseases related to the place where they were discovered. That's why we have Ebola, and we have other diseases that have names of places. Now we're trying to change that because that is, uh, it's not seen nigh- today. That's why COVID is not called the Wuhan syndrome or something. It's just, it just has a, this, uh, this different name. Basically, the Spanish flu is probably the last big pandemic that hit us before COVID, And there's definitely a lot more in the book. Actually, I talk about other pandemics before that. And since we have records, historical records, we have notices and and stories about infectious diseases, epidemics, pandemics, things that are basically part of our our history. And uh, Spanish flu, I think it's important because it hit the world in a way that was perhaps at that time seen as something that maybe that was, uh, it could not happen at that time. This was the beginning of the 20th century. We already started having more uh, knowledge about science. And we were still being uh, hit by a, a new virus, in this case, a flu virus that caused millions of deaths. And it was thought after that That was basically the last big one. So because after that, we started having antibiotics that help with the control, the bacterial diseases. We started having antivirals to control the viruses. We started having vaccines. And I think we started the 21st century with the idea that this is not going to happen to us again. So uh, pandemics like the the Spanish flu or big crises like that it's not going to happen. Obviously, we were quite wrong, as we all know now, in the middle of the COVID pandemic, uh, which I think has been a bit of a wake-up call to remind us that we are here, again, sharing this planet with a, a lot of microbes that may have sometimes uh, the idea to just cause a pandemic and this, that still can happen. And although we have great tools, obviously what's happening in this uh, pandemic has been amazing how we managed to develop this vaccine so quickly. So this is a, a, an amazing scientific achievement, but even there's, been a, there's already more than three and a half million, official million deaths uh, of, of COVID. So we're still quite vulnerable to new viruses or new bacteria or whatever. So this is a, a bit what the book is about, how Something that historically has been part of our of, of our lives of human history, this interaction with bacteria now still is a problem, and we need to still be aware of this. And it's not only COVID that is a problem; we have other pandemics that we we don't talk about. We have the AIDS pandemic, which is still very much going on in some parts in the world. We have the flu that keeps coming back and there's still danger that we may have another pandemic due to flu. There's tuberculosis. TB is one that is a disease that's forgotten. It's a 19th century disease, but it's actually happening in parts of the world. You have this antibiotic resistant TB that could be quite an important issue. We have malaria uh, that kills millions of people and is still a very big problem in, in some parts of the world. So, In in places like the U.S. and in Europe, we tend to overlook these facts because we are quite okay here because we are not usually hit by these pandemics. And we think, oh, that's not a a problem anymore. It is a problem. And not only that, but it can become an even bigger problem if we uh, enter a pandemic like we are uh, now, where the whole world now becomes part of this issue, this problem. And we all need to work together to try to find a way out.
0: Yeah, most definitely. My understanding of the reason they call it the Spanish flu, my understanding, and so quote unquote, was because the, no one wanted to talk about it or acknowledge it. And the Spanish press was the first to call it out and be like, hey, man, this is like a thing. And that's how they yep. got stuck with the moniker of the Spanish yep. flu. And it, it doesn't matter where it comes from. <laughs> it's, it's a pandemic, so, right?
1: Yeah, that's something that I don't think we, are, we realize now. Pandemic means a worldwide problem. And we're still thinking, oh, my country's doing fine. We are well vaccinated. This is okay. No, it's a pandemic. Until the whole world is vaccinated, this is not going to end. Yeah. So we, uh, the U.S. is going to be is, is doing very well now. The U.K. is one of the top countries now in the Europe with vaccination. Uh, countries in the world that are hitting 70, 80 percent of the population being vaccinated. That's great. But that's not the end of the pandemic by a long shot. As long as there's places like India where there's uh, the virus running free or Brazil or any other places, this virus is going to mutate, mutate. It's going to change. And it's going to come back. Uh, and it, it, it can Uh, continue to give us uh, problems and definitely we cannot move around the planet freely if there is uh, still virus in other places so we need to think about pandemics as global problems that need to be solved globally and we are we we suck at this we are we showed in these past months that we are really bad at coordinating a response to a global problem everybody goes uh, and does their own thing and there's no way that we together can fight this common problem we have
0: yeah, it's really interesting. People are resistant to, especially Republican politicians here, resistant to the WHO, you know, overseeing government, a uh, worldwide body of outbreaks like this. The And I imagine there are other countries and leaders that are as well. They don't want to fall under the rule of, of these things being called out, but we've seen the fallout and the damage from it. What's interesting is, and what you talked about it. and something I thought about. I know that the Spanish or I don't know this, but my understanding of the Spanish flu, one of the reasons we it was brought back to America and hit us hard was because the returning GIs brought it back. And but what was interesting is we didn't we weren't a global connected we didn't have flights going everywhere to every country in the world we were connected globally like we were this time like this time we were like you say we have this real global connection problem where we've got to we've got to fix this thing and attack it legally or not legally but legitimately and and do it very quickly otherwise things can get out of hand and god knows i I always tell people i'm like imagine what the next one's going to be like this one was uh, pretty evil
1: exactly actually this is it could have been much worse and I think you, you mm. should we should see this one as a sort of a dress rehearsal because wow. it, although it it's bad, it's definitely bad. It's not half as bad or a tenth as bad as it could be. This is a virus that's relatively good, if you can call that as good. I mean, the coronavirus is pretty stable. So it's a virus that's not changing a lot. It does mutate, but not a lot. If you compare it to the flu every year, it's different. It's completely different from one year to the other. So you need to develop new immunity. You need to vaccinate again. It doesn't look like the coronavirus is going that route. Uh, if you think about AIDS, the HIV is like the worst virus you can imagine. That virus changes not every year, but every day. So uh, up to the point that, yeah, we've known the HIV for, what, 40 years now, and mm-hmm. we haven't been able to develop a vaccine. It's not because we're not good or we're not investing money. It's because it's very difficult. So we got very lucky with coronaviruses that with this one, with the SARS-CoV-2, within weeks, we had a target and was a stable target uh, towards which we could build antibodies and, and do a vaccine. So we got very lucky there with a stable virus and a, a, a vaccine that uh, came up very quickly. And a virus that is very contagious, yes, but the lethality is relatively low. The rate of, of, of death by coronavirus, it's around 2 3% maximum. The flu uh, virus has a, a, a lethality of around 10%. So it's at least five times bigger. So imagine a virus like this, but five times the the lethality. That's not, it wouldn't be the worst virus either. If you think about the the Ebola virus has an 80% death rate. So 80%, obviously, that's a different thing. If we ever get a virus like this, we're screwed. But even a virus with five, six times more lethality, we would have now, what, 20 million deaths? And that's because we didn't react, as you said, properly, quick enough, fast enough, and coordinated enough to actually stop this. These past weeks, there's been this whole report from WHO saying, trying to analyze what went wrong at the beginning. And they're saying that everybody was very slow at reacting, and in a way, what happened with the Spanish flu, that the Spaniards said we have a flu, is not didn't happen fast enough here in in China. So the Chinese did uh, communicate that there was a new disease, but a bit late. And then mm-hmm. the WHO perhaps took a bit too long to say this was this was becoming pandemic. And this delay at the beginning is what's uh, allowed for this sort of big ramp up at the beginning of the pandemic that led to the huge number of infections and the huge number of deaths. And again, this is a relatively benign virus compared to other viruses we know. So with a real aggressive virus, we would have the death toll would have been completely disastrous. So we should uh, learn from this. We should uh, realize that this, yeah, could be seen as a dress rehearsal. It's a pretty bad disease, but it's not as bad as it can be. We can be hit by a much worse virus in the future. So let's try to get the, our act together and find a way, like you were saying, WHO, for instance, it should be a, a sort of an organism that oversees the response uh, to these sort of problems. And now it's seen more to, as a sort of a consulting body that you may or may not pay attention to. That's not how we can face a, sort of a global problem like this one.
0: Yeah, we even had an idiot remove us from the who the united states <laughs> i mean yeah, you just can't even measure the dumbness of something like that but yeah, here we are for four years of not of measuring a lot of dumbness it was immeasurable well, here in the u.s we're about 50 i think yesterday we announced we're 50 percent vaccinated but we still have a whole lot of people that don't want to take the uh, the vaccination we have this uh, virus resistant group and a lot of it is just political dumbness and people on the right wing fringes it's interesting many of the people who supported the last moron from four years ago and voted for him, you can see that in their states, those are the ones that have the problem. Is there any basis or what would you say to people that are trying to be vaccine resistant and they don't want to take the vaccine here in utah we're not even sure that we're going to get to herd immunity levels because so many people are resistant to the vaccine do people really have to worry about this what would you tell people that are like i'm not sure i should take that virus because i'm the guy on facebook the meme says i shouldn't because i that's clearly science
1: no, it's a big issue. It's a problem. And we laugh about it and we mock it because it's, it's, it looks a silly thing, but it's, it's becoming a serious problem for everybody. Because mm-hmm. vaccination, some people see it as a, an act, an individual act of freedom. So I vaccinate myself because I want to get vaccinated. But it's not only that. It's the thing that you do for the community. Because mm-hmm. if you're vaccinated, the virus is not going to spread through you. If you are not vaccinated, you, could, you may be contributing to spread the virus to other people. So it's not only, you cannot just think about this is a, a personal choice. It is up to a point a personal choice, but it's also a choice you do. For the community, for the global health, and that's I think it needs to be stressed. Now, what are the issues with vaccines? Are you afraid because they're not uh, safe? That's not true. Vaccines—you have tons of data showing that vaccines are safe. There's no problem about that. None, obviously. There's uh, the rare side effects. Yes, we know about those, and there's been detected, and they are now we know we are aware that they may happen—one in a million or whatever—and if they happen, they can be treated. That's something that, that, that needs to go on record. That's true. But apart from that, the amount of, the, of lives that the vaccines are saving, that perhaps people don't, don't, that focus on the side effects don't focus on the other side. The people that get vaccinated are basically now being saved. In the UK, for instance, now we have over 70% of the population vaccinated. The people that are ending up in the hospitals are dying. It just has plummeted. That We almost don't see anybody in the hospitals yeah. now, all, or very little. So we're saving a lot of lives. And that's because of the vaccine, nothing else. Vaccines work, for sure. There's no no doubt about it. Vaccines as a whole is one of the safest and more effective drugs we have because they they do tend to have very little side effects and they do tend to save a lot of lives because they just basically protect you against very bad diseases. Vaccines in general, I think are a very good thing. This needs to be stressed. Our... Life expectancy basically doubled in the past century, thanks in good measure to vaccines. There was other things like antibiotics and uh, there's general health improvements, but vaccines played a very important role in reducing the child mortality to almost nothing. In the beginning of the 20th century, half of the kids uh, in some countries would die, would not make it to, to adult life. And that was stopped thanks to vaccines. Now, you translate this into the COVID times. At this moment, the only way we have to control this disease is the vaccine. We don't have a drug. For instance, we're talking about AIDS. So AIDS, we have good drugs to stop the virus. We don't have a vaccine, but at least we can stop the virus. For COVID, we don't have a drug. So there's no way that you can stop this virus from reproducing once you have it inside. You have to wait to get your... To, to... For to see how your system, your immune system fights this virus. So the only way we can help that is just to try to boost the immune system by giving a vaccine so that, that, that your immune system can fight this. And that's the only thing we have. And unless we, are all, we all reach a certain percentage of vaccination in all the countries in the world, this is not going to go away because this virus we see it is very infectious. So it just keeps spreading. So as long as there's people that are susceptible it's going to move around. So that's why it's so important that everybody everywhere, so it's not enough to say, oh, my city is vaccinated or my country is well vaccinated. No, because if your neighbors are not, it's going to come back to you. It's going to, this virus is going to evolve. It's going to keep uh, spreading and circulating. So I, I, I guess that's the only thing that you, have, you can say to these people that are still doubting. Look for the right sources. You're right. I don't believe the first guy that you see on Internet. To, internet is great. And again, you were talking about how this is the first pandemic in a sort of a hyper-connected wall. And this is the first pandemic also in the era of Internet. So information flows at a rate that's never... Uh, it's been seen before and this is good and it's bad because it This allow us to actually know what's going on in real time so if something happens in china now we know it in in one minute but also this this information spreads equally fast yeah. so that's very dangerous
0: how do you deal with that what's the old what's the old saying a lie spreads around the world in a day and, and the truth takes weeks or something something like that it's very interesting to me now this is a new type of vaccine where it's a, I think an M- MNRA or something like that. Tell us a little about that. Cause I think it holds uh, a, a, a great future for vaccines and drugs and, and how we deal with them, some of the different things in life. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah,
1: sure. That's a very interesting topic indeed, because one of the misconceptions, again, of the vaccines, is they, ha- they have been developed so quickly that they cannot be safe. And that's mm-hmm. not really true. They have, not been de- they have been developed quickly, but the final stages. So this is not a, a technology that just appeared out of nowhere in 2019. mRNA vaccines have been researched for the first time that somebody mentioned this idea of the mRNA vaccines was in 1989. So it's been around for 30 years, the whole concept of how you develop an mRNA vaccine. And they have been developed and studied, and all the processes have been studied very carefully. The problem is that none of this had reached yet uh, to the stage of a clinical drug that you could give to people in 2019. There were clinical trials already for vaccines with that technology, but since there was not an urgency, it was going on the background, and probably in the next three, four, five years, we would have probably seen the first mRNA vaccine reach uh, the clinic but since there was this 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 urgency now uh, a lot of money and effort and and, and manpower was poured into finish the development of this drug and what it does uh, actually this kind of vaccine is very interesting because vaccines started as you basically get the virus or whatever microbe that you want to protect against and you inactivate it and then you inject it. So you are basically injecting a weak version of the virus to stimulate a response without making you uh, sick. So that was the classic vaccine. Now, that was good, but uh, it has some problems. Like sometimes you can get sick from the vaccine, from these old vaccines. So we improved that. And instead of injecting the whole virus, we started injecting pieces of the virus, the protein cycle. The virus basically is, is a, uh, some sort of a uh, different shapes, but it has a, a sort of a capsule and then some genes inside. So the capsule is made out of proteins normally. So if you get one of these proteins and you inject it, you sometimes get the same response. And that's what the next step of vaccines were. Now we, went, we moved even farther to a new level of vaccines, which is we don't inject the protein. We don't inject the virus. We inject the instructions to make the protein. Mm-hmm. So like we're, we're injecting a piece of gene which is just a piece of genetic code that once it's inside our cells, our cells make that protein, that it's a viral protein, and generates that sort of immune response. Now, people saying, oh, these viruses, uh, these vaccines are modifying my, my DNA. They're changing my genes. That's not how it works. That's not the case. It, it may sound scary, but it's not how it, how it is. It's very similar as being infected by a virus. You're going to get a piece of a genetic code from a virus, which is going to make a protein, and that's going to go away. So that's going to degrade and disappear very quickly. So it's not going to get stuck in into your DNA or change you in any way. So there's no uh, risk, real risk in any of these vaccines, the R- mRNA vaccines or the, the other type of uh, vaccines, the vital vector vaccines, which also use similar technology. They're not going to change or modify your DNA because that's not how it happens. And then what we saw is that these vaccines, they make. if you look at the percentage of response in these vaccines, is a So they have, they give a protection of around 90, 98%. That's very unusual for a vaccine. Most of the vaccines we have are not that good. If you think about the flu vaccine this year, there's only like 20, 30% protection. And we -hmm. we consider it's good enough. And we just give it the malaria vaccine. The first vaccine against malaria had around a 30, 35% protection. We saw it as a huge development because we had nothing to protect people against malaria. Now we're here, we are talking about a vaccine that would give you a 98% protection. That's unheard of. And that's very powerful. And that's mostly or in part due to this new technology that we developed. We need to be appreciative and conscious of the, what, how much science went into this, how much knowledge went into this, how much effort from a lot of scientists over the decades to actually get us to this point that we can generate a vaccine that is very powerful. It gets you a huge response against this virus and protects you even more than we thought in the initial clinical trials in all the countries now with a good percentage of vaccination. As we said, uh, all the rates of of infection and mortality just going down. So I think it's it looks as good as it can it can be.
0: That's interesting. It's really wild. It just gives you your body a blueprint and says, "Here you go," and and that could be really helpful. So, what do you see the future? We're getting down on the hour. What is it? What what do you see in the future for COVID? Do you see what, with the way we're going and we're in India is completely out of control? How do you what would you be your prediction or what do you see us coming out of this what do you see I guess uh, for the future
1: I think the the main danger now is to see this as uh, it's almost ending and that's it and the pandemic is almost over in countries like the in the US or in Europe that's the, sort of the feeling you're getting because you're seeing how the cases are going down and I say oh that's it we're we're done and as you say as long as India or other countries have that much virus running around, that's definitely not the end for anybody. And actually, we're seeing it now in the UK. So UK had uh, the cases under control, very well under control in the past uh, weeks. And now it's slowly surging again because we are getting a lot of this Indian version. And oh. that's the danger. So that, that every, all the, the work that you did, all the effort that you did to control the, the pandemic, it can just go evaporate when you get a new variant coming in. So that's always a risk. My predictions, I'm guessing we're going to see two or three endings of this pandemic. So the first ending would be for countries like ours that have a good rate of vaccination. Probably before the end of the year, we're going to recover most of our normal life, Most, I would say, not 100%, but we're probably going to be able to get rid of the masks. Probably we're going to have a decent enough level of vaccination and the mortality is going to go down. That's the first end. But it's not a real end of the pandemic because the pandemic is still going, going around. The second real ending of the pandemic would be once everybody in the world is, is vaccinated enough to stop the spread of the virus. And this is going to happen in two or three years. It's not going to happen immediately.
0: Seriously, two to three years? Yeah, yeah,
1: because at least, because uh, the rate of of vaccination in in our countries is so quick that it's making actually vaccines not available for the rest of the world. So there's countries that haven't even started. So there's a lot of places in Africa, uh, South America, they just have almost nothing to go around. So these guys are going to start vaccinating these years, hopefully, but it's going to take another year, perhaps to get the full population vaccinated. So we're looking around at least another year or two to get uh, to a good level globally. So Mm -hmm. that would be perhaps the... Second real end of the pandemic, but then we are entering the post pandemic stage. This virus is not going away; this virus is here to stay, like the flu virus, like any other viruses that that we have, so we 're going to have to learn to live with this virus. So what does that mean? Uh, it, it means like probably once we are all vaccinated and we have immunity, maybe this virus is going to keep doing like a, have a spread a bit. Or here, there is a, might be an outbreak in that place or the other one, maybe a new variant coming. We may have to revaccinate vaccinate part of the population like we do with the flu every year. So mm-hmm. we have to see exactly what's going to happen, how, how this virus is going to become part of our life. But it's not going away, that's the thing. So we're going to have it under control for sure, but still we're going to have to deal with it.
0: So would technically the pandemic not be over for two to three years then?
1: Uh, yeah. If, if you remember the pan- pandemic is the w- worldwide kind of uh, problem, yeah. uh, the world is not going to get rid of the virus uh, yeah. this year. Uh, and so we're we so be...
0: interconnected with flights and ships. Yep. And... That's the thing. So we'll
1: as, as you do the Olympics in Tokyo, what's going to happen? Yeah. So you're going to spread the virus. I mean, <laughs> that's that's, uh, that's, going down. that's a given, right? Oh,
0: man. the Wow, man. You just blew my freaking mind. I I was thinking this would be over <laughs> the end of this year, the way I was gone and... I, I you're definitely on the big picture i, I think i'm american so we only like give a shit about us classic asshole american anyway but no that that does make sense i've been watching the bodies they're burning in india and just the extraordinary fallout there and it's just heartbreaking but so this is where we this is where we go and uh, yeah i've I've heard that that they may have to update our shots and i've got mine i've got the 5g right here i Bill, yeah, Bill Gates. Because- he's not home right now, so I think he's out looking for a new wife. So there's that. We're rounding up the hour. Anything you want to touch on in the book to get people to go out and buy or tease out, so get people to go pick that baby up?
1: Yeah, sure. Everybody go out and buy this book. This is full of uh, good stories about viruses and bacteria. I think it's a mix of history lesson. If you want a bit going through the ages, how bacteria and viruses play a role, and obviously for the American continent, it was a huge. Uh, difference, a huge impact that when the Europeans came and discovered, as you, if you want to call it like that, America, they brought in into America a lot of diseases that, they, that the Americans didn't have at that, at that time. And that's how basically the whole conquest of America happened, because all the Native Americans were dead within a year due to the diseases, not due to the superiority of the, of the Spanish army, just because uh, they were getting killed by all the bacteria that, and viruses that we brought to the new continent. So this is a part of the book as well. There's pieces of history that are interesting also a bit of uh, how we got to this point where we now have antibiotics and vaccines and everything, how we develop these tools. What are the most important dangers we have right now? We're facing. We're talking about malaria, TB, all these things. How, how this may play a role? And obviously COVID. How are we dealing with COVID and uh, what's going to happen with it? So if you are into this sort of stuff, I think what I... Uh, me as a scientist, I like reading about science, but I think it's important that everybody has a bit of knowledge about science because today we're talking about uh, mRNA and most people don't know even what RNA is. And I think nowadays you cannot afford not to know this. I mean, uh, because they're going to inject you with RNA and you need to know what RNA is because it's going to go into your body. So I think a bit more knowledge, basic knowledge on science. I think everybody should, not only this book, but everybody should go out and read science books because science books, if they are well-written, they're fun. There's a ton Mm -hmm. of good writers out there that Mm. can uh, make it interesting, yeah.
0: Yeah, they need to quit reading the books that aren't science. The one thing on this book, if you're if you have relatives or friends that are that are resistant to getting the vaccine, would this be a good book to give them, or at least hit? Oh, them yeah. With? You know, Definitely, I think so. Whack I mean, him upside the head. I'm not yeah, encouraging it, violence in any way, shape, or form.
1: Whatever. Then you, you have to buy the, the hardcover then if you want to use <laughs> yeah, it like that. Do. but you know, uh, <laughs> no, least,
0: I mean, that could be assault. So maybe I'll just throw the paper back at him so it bounces off and I don't, whatever. But no, this sounds like a great book. And yeah, we need to get more into science and understanding science and quit living like cavemen where we're in some cave going, oh no, I mean, there's an outside world that scares me. You're just like, uh, come on, man, people, come on. I agree. Science is
1: fun, too. So it's not only necessary, but it's also fun. So if you, get, if you find the right book and a right writer, and, and, and you guys in the U.S. have great uh, popular science writers, so just go out in the, to, the, to your bookstore and find a science book and enjoy it. It's lots of fun.
0: There you go. Give it away to all the anti-vaxxer people. Give the book away. Uh, Salvador, it's been wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you for coming on and spending some time with us, enlightening us, and hopefully we educated some people here and we'll get the world vaccinated even more now. Thank you for coming on, sir.
1: It's a pleasure. Uh, Thanks for inviting me.
0: Thank you very much. Guys, go pre-order the book. It comes out June 2nd in America. I think it's been out for a while across overseas there. Modern Epidemics, from the Spanish Flu to COVID-19. There'll be a link on the Chris Voss Show. Go to youtube.com, chess. Chris Foss. hit the bell notification button, and also go to goodreads.com, chess. Chris Foss. Subscribe to us over there, and all the different groups we have on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, all those different things. See us over there as well. We certainly appreciate it tuning in stay safe get vaccinated and we'll see you guys next time